0: You are listening to Beautiful Minds, the podcast. Beautiful Minds captures honest and optimistic conversations with smart, passionate, and genuine people who seek to change the world for the better. And now, we're starting small, with a series of portraits of individuals who, in 2011, got together to study human rights in Europe. They came from different places, different backgrounds, and had very different stories. All they had in common was their appetite for social justice and a motivation to make a difference. Almost a decade later, let's see where they are, what they've done, and what they've learned. At Beautiful Minds, we start small, and we dream big. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get started. Hi, Marta. Thank you so, so much for uh, being here with me today. I'm super happy to have you on uh, on the podcast. And I'm super happy that you said yes right away when I asked you um, if you wanted to be, uh, to be featured, because it's always a bit scary, you know, to send these emails where you're like, do you want to be part of this? And, and you were very enthusiastic, so so thank you so much. I'm super grateful for, for that. So do you want to tell me a little bit where are you, what are you doing these days, um, what are you up to, how are you feeling, what's your mood?
1: Ooh, first of all, thank you very much for thinking about me for this podcast. I think it's a great idea. So right now, I'm in Montreal, I'm doing a PhD in atmospheric science, and I'm I think it's my second year now I'm still a lot of left so yeah um that's my current situation right now that's great
0: yeah I mean I would love to come see you again in in Montreal you know I think it's a it's an amazing amazing place um okay so I want to take us back a little bit to when we studied together I know it feels like a really, really like yeah you, but uh, but let's start uh, let's start there you know so I was wondering if you had I don't know like a best memory from uh, from the masters, you know, if there was a place where we lived that that meant, you know, a lot to you, or yeah, what was your, you know, most important memory of these two years that we that we spent together uh, traveling around Europe?
1: Well, I think I love Tromsø the most because it was the most exciting place where we saw the northern lights. And, uh, I mean, the, the landscape was beautiful. And I also remember this trip we made to Finnmark to see the Sami Parliament and stuff. And I remember playing Mafia in one of our rooms, <laughs> <laughs> that game where we had to find who was killing who. So I think that I would say that Fronzo was was my best memory. Uh, but it's hard to say because I remember in Sweden, Sweden was nice because it was a first semester and we we're all together living together doing things together, having dinner together. So I think it's it's hard to decide, but I would say one of those two semesters are like the best ones.
0: I also have a really fond memory of the time we lived in Trump. So I think it was such a special place, you know? And uh, and it's funny that you mentioned the Northern Lights because for me, they will forever be one of my, you know, best travel uh, memory, you know, because I think seeing the Northern Lights, and actually the first time I saw them was um, on my birthday. And oh. um, so... <laughs> And it was just the most amazing, the most amazing thing, you know, like it was this kind of sur- surreal, completely supernatural um, event. It was, it was wonderful. Tromso was a was super cool. So actually, I'm happy you're, you're mentioning Tromso, because um, I was reading online, I was Googling you, you know, I was researching <laughs> things about you to prepare for this interview and <laughs> uh, so of course I, I, I know you well and I, and I follow what you're doing, but I was doing this kind of intense you know, Google search about you and so um, I, I saw that in in, in one of the um, bios that was written about you on some website somewhere, it said that the reason why you transitioned to this PhD is because in Tromso you discovered um, your passion for the Arctic. And so I would like to kind of talk about this a little bit, about what happened between um, this moment in 2011 when you decided to study human rights and now you're doing a PhD about a very different topic but you were not always an um, environmental scientist so can you take us back a little bit on this journey of you know what happened in your in your path and in your career that um, took you from studying human rights to now the PhD that uh, that you're doing in 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 Montreal
1: yeah well actually I have to go back even earlier in my life because when I was I guess 16 or 17 now you thinking about what you want to do with your life I had a hard time to decide whether I wanted to do social sciences or natural sciences. I really love biology and chemistry, um, but then on the other hand, I wanted to help people. So I was thinking, should I study psychology or should I study biology? And then, you know, I think because I was in a, I mean, in Spain, we we are kind of traditional society, so women do like more women-related jobs, like taking care of people and men do like scientific jobs. I think that probably influenced me to finally choose psychology, even though deep down inside I really, really love natural sciences. So I started studying psychology first and then I did a degree in social work at the same time and then I started this master's degree. When I decided to study social work at the same time as psychology, um, I actually thought of studying neuroscience at the same time as psychology because I I really love, miss science. But uh, then I said, okay, I'm going to study social science because I still want to help people. And I think two degrees in psychology and social uh, social work are going to help me. So I did that. And then I did a master's degree because I still, I, I wanted to help people. And then while I was in this master's degree, I really still miss science a lot, natural science. So once I finished the degree in social work at the distance. I started a new degree at the distance, uh, and this time it was environmental science. Okay, It looks confusing. <laughs> Actually, I've never stopped uh, studying. No, exactly.
0: And so that's just very, very normal and kind of a logical step that you would end up doing a PhD, right? Because it's like when you're done with all these degrees, at some point you cannot go any further, but the PhD kind of gives you, you know, an extra, an extra step and an extra degree. So, I mean... What is the intention, you know, with the PhD? Are you doing the PhD because you love studying? Are you doing it because um, you want to teach? I mean, wh- what, was the,
1: what was the rational behind
0: pursuing all the way even to, to a PhD? It's,
1: it's a long story too. Actually, my idea in the beginning when I did environmental science was to study natural science because I loved it, but I didn't think I would end up doing something related to natural science because it was too late. So I thought that would help me to study human rights and environmental rights. So that was that was my idea. But then at some point in my life, I, I wanted to find a job in human rights, and it was really, really hard to find a job. I then ended up finding a job in, in social work, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And I thought about doing a PhD in social science thinking that, you know, maybe it will help me to find a job in, in human rights. And uh, But then I, when I was looking for PhD in social sciences, I always ended up looking for PhD in physics, uh, biology, and something <laughs> that was not related at all. So, you know, I realized, okay, I, I like human rights practice. Like, I would like to do research for an organization, but I don't want to do a, a PhD in, in human rights or social sciences. So actually, when I came here to Montreal in 2016, The idea was to find a job in in human rights or something related to, in in an NGO, NGO. right. So, but I couldn't find a job. And at the same time, I was about to finish my degree in environmental science. So it was a tough decision, but I ended up thinking, okay, I'm just going to give up on human rights. And I'm going to start almost from zero a new degree a new career in in science so i did an internship at a university here and i applied for a for a master's degree and it ended up being a PhD.
0: no and i mean i don't want you to say that you 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 gave up on, on human rights you know because of course you, you say whatever you want but you know I, i'm thinking this is maybe a bit sad but um, no I, I mean i'm kind of interested in in um In something that you mentioned when when we were messaging and I was telling you I wanted to interview you, you said um, you're interested in the role of science for change. And um, I'm also doing a PhD, as you know, and anyone who's doing a PhD is doing kind of an intense, you know, scientific research project. It doesn't really matter which discipline you're in. There is always a scientific part to it because there is this kind of intense research methodology and all that. So how is this helping with social change is definitely something I'm super interested in, you know, because... I, I think there's a lot of gaps between academia and practice and, you know, policy and practice and theories and practice and, and things like this. So. I, I would like you to, to, to maybe say a little bit more about this, about how you see the role of science in, in pushing for change. And I mean, in your case, this is probably more connected to climate change, you know, and environmental um, rights and things like this. But um, I, I wonder if you've worked on anything kind of um, concrete that, that you could um, that you could talk about that there would be an example in this, you know, in how um, academia and um, and science, you know, helps as well with social change in general.
1: Yeah, so I I think. For me, the role of a scientist is to communicate science. Like what I see is, uh, there are a lot of scientists that just do research and they are focused on their research. Uh, they don't care about communicating research, but there are also scientists that care about communicating this research. So I, I think that's important thing. We need to study climate change, but we need, of course, to communicate climate change to people that are not necessarily interested in climate change. So uh, on my part, I, I, for example, I've written an article for the Conversation which is, um, I don't know if you know, it's like an online journal where academic researchers write articles addressed to the, the pe- person, the people that don't know about uh, science. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the lay person. So I wrote an article uh, because I think it, that helps try right, to explain scientific things in terms that are more interesting for the normal person. And So I think that's the point. I think that we need to be able to connect what we do with people's worries, what people care about in life. And I think sometimes this is not the case. And also I think, I guess, we need to improve education to make sure that, you know, science is not something worrying we learn at school, that science is actually interesting and very, very exciting.
0: Yeah, and can be quite concrete, right? And it actually impacts everyday life of most people, right? So since you're an expert at, um kind of you know making complicated research terms more accessible for (laughs) for people and if i understand correctly you even won you know a prize or or some kind of competition about this right Uh, yeah so (laughs) then you know would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what is your phd research about in in terms that actually everyone could understand you know um yeah
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) always a tough question (laughs) everybody asks that so (laughs) i understand an australian science um and basically, I work with atmospheric models, which are like a representation of, of the atmosphere. So basically, what we do is we have these equations that represent how temperature, wind, uh, atmospheric pressure evolve with time and space. So in our models, uh, we, we write these models in computer programs that we just execute. So basically, what the model represents that we represent... Every equation, we apply it in a grid that covers the world. The whole world is divided in little squ- squares of a certain size. So the smaller the square, the better we can represent the, the atmospheric processes like cloud formation, uh, things like that. Uh, so basically, I'm working with those kind of models, but mine is working in a particular region of the world. And what I'm doing is I'm simulating a storm called polar lows, which are stones that that happen in, near the poles, as you can figure out for the name. They are very intense. They can have winds that can reach hurricane force sometimes. So if you have winds of 90, well, hurricane force more uh, over 100 kilometers per hour, but they can be very, very intense. So these polar lows uh, form over the oceans when we have cold air going over the ocean because there's a huge difference of, uh, in temperature between the cold air over the ocean and the warm ocean. So there's a lot of heat Transfer of heat from the ocean to the air, and when the air is uh, warmer, it goes up because it's lighter, and then when it goes up, um, it gets colder because there's less pressure, so the air, you know, when you have something that is compressed, it's more warm, but when it expands, it's less cold. And when you have air that is less cold, it can keep less humidity, so it means that humidity condenses, and then you have clouds and it rains, so that's the short explanation of how they form. <laughs> it's more complicated than that, but basically what I do is I simulate this phenomena, this polar loss. I compare this with uh, with observations, with satellite observations of clouds or of atmospheric pressure of winds to see if, you know, what uh, the simulation is similar to the to the reality. And then if I have a good simulation, then I can study the the phenomena how, how is your research
0: um, interacting with climate change or, or helping understand or, or fight climate change?
1: Well, my research is not directly connected to climate change, but it helps me evaluate the model I'm using. Uh, so we use this model not only for like weather prediction in the short term, we're we going to use, use it also for research in climate change. Although I don't, I don't study climate change myself, but you could study, for example, I could study, if I do a lot of simulations of this, I could study how... It's the distribution of this phenomenon is going to change in the future, or if it's going to become more intense or less intense. I'm not doing this, but I could do this. But basically, that okay. will help to make better models to be able to do better, better projections in climate change.
0: And so, are you enjoying it? Is that living up to your to your expectations? I mean, is it um, is it as exciting as you thought
1: this uh, this would be to to do a PhD? Yeah, actually, I love it. I um, I have started programming in, for this PhD, so I. I love programming, I love, because I'm using different tools all the time, learning a lot of different things, because it's, you know, when you start your research, you think you're going to use this tool, or you're going to learn this thing, but then I have ended up learning a lot of programming languages, I'm learning about uh, conducting simulations, and learning about how scientists get observations, and how can I use this, this data to compare it with my simulations. So I'm learning a lot of different things um, about this, about atmospheric science, and I think it's really exciting. Oh,
0: that's cool. I mean, I, I'm not sure I understood everything, but <laughs> but I'm excited for you. You sound excited, so so I'm excited as well. My own PhD process is quite, I was going to say lonely, but maybe lonely is a bit too negative. So I would say it's quite individual in the sense that yeah. I don't work with anyone else. You know, I mean, obviously I have a supervisor and I have a cohort, you know, of other PhD students that I have started at the same time. And, you know, we have like this kind of solidarity you know, uh, network. But I mean, I work on my topic on my own. You know, and um, I wonder if it's the same for you. You know, if you work with anyone else, if you, if you're part of a of a team of some sort. You know, I mean, what I'm interested in in kind of understanding is, you know, where do you find your your support? Because I feel like academia in general is quite um okay let's say it it's quite lonely and and definitely the PhD is even more so anyway basically long story short just to ask who do you interact with you know who's supporting you in in this research you know where do you find kind of um, a community of of peers you know that you can exchange with
1: well I have to say my first and main support is my boyfriend (laughs) honestly that's it's the person who's with me all the time. When I'm down, he, he encouraged me to go on. So really without him, it would be way harder than it is. Because as you say, you know, your project is your project. So you don't really work with other people. You know, I have a, an office where I go from time to time, but I do uh, work a lot from home. And even when I go to the office, uh, there's maybe one people. So I do talk with peers from time to time, but not very, not usually really. You know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I'm i quite a lonely person, so that's fine for me. And then we have conferences from time to time, like, um, like sometimes, yeah, when at conferences you can talk to people, which is really nice. And then also from time to time, I also see my peers and I, I spend some time talking to them. Like, I don't talk to them often, but when I talk to them, we, we talk quite a while. You know, I've
0: been thinking a lot about uh, what I wish I knew about the PhD process, you know, when I started and um and because I've had some people who kind of, you know, ask me like, oh, I'm thinking maybe about doing a PhD. What do you think? You know, and honestly, I think the supervisor is so important, you know, and I was lucky enough that like I ended up with someone that I actually I'm very happy with and I worked very well with. But it's almost a coincidence, you know, like, I mean. I wasn't very aware of how important the supervisor was going to be, you know, in the Mm -hmm. process when I when I approached um, that professor. And um, and it turned out that it worked out pretty well. But now, you know, that's definitely an advice that I give to people who ask me about the PhD process. I say, you know, more than the university or the department or whatever, like choose someone who's actually really interested in your uh, like genuinely interested in your in your research kind of area because of course the research question and topic they will change you know but at least in the kind of field that you want to research and who's available you know and with whom you have a good kind of sense you know or instinct because it's definitely the most important assets that you can have in the in the phd process i think you know according to to my experience
1: yeah i think that too i mean i know a person that has an awful supervisor and it's it's just horrible You because you depend on your supervisor. You yeah, need so much. His, appro- his or her approval to go on. So if he wants to make your life impossible, then he can or she can.
0: Yeah. So you were just playing with the pronouns, you know, saying like uh, he or she. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, let's be honest. I am sure that in your... Field, there is more men than than women, you know, in in that field of science. You know, I mean, is that something that you think about sometimes? I mean, that's also something you mentioned, right? When we were um, texting about your about you coming on yeah. the podcast, you know, you were saying you're interested in the role of uh, women in science. And I'm in mean, in political science. I work on human rights, which are more kind of traditional, um, you know, feminine kind of sectors. And yet. I was looking for a woman as a second supervisor because I could not imagine publishing a PhD that had like only male names, you know, like next to <laughs> mine on the front page. I really wanted a woman and it was not so easy, you know, to find someone because there are not so many women, you know, and um, and I don't know if it's something that you, you also struggle with. And, and if you've seen some kind of cool initiatives as well of like, I don't know, like women in science solidarity groups or or publication sites or I don't know like things like this I think it's something that you that you also think about no
1: yeah sure it was shocking for me when because when I studied psychology social work human rights I was always surrounded by women like I was used to being all the time around women women studies and then I came here and it was mostly men so I, I have to say I was shocked and I realized like it was very very different to study science than social sciences so um it's true that, yeah, there are less women in science, and if you're talking about initiatives, there's one called, uh, I think it's Women in Earth Sciences or something like that. I have to give you the, maybe the the website. There's someone that decided to create this, uh, like, network of women studying science, and I think it was, more yeah, more earth science so atmospheric science, geology and everything so there's this network to promote women in science and last year I had a conference here in Montreal where I participated, I did a, I gave a talk and they also organized this um, kind of network uh, dinner for women and it was pretty nice because I had the chance to talk to a lot of women from different fields in the earth science, in geology, uh, atmospheric science and everything and it was really interesting to see all these women, you know, in science, because it's true that even in scientific conferences the there's always a lot of men in this field there there are always a lot of men. So yeah, I think that we need more women in the field, definitely. Um, and it's it's quite striking because you know it's not in nature that women want to study less science than that men some there's something. There's clearly something wrong in society. There's no reason why women would study less science than men, and it's uh, the difference is is huge. So um, yeah, and I think uh, uh, another problem maybe in this field, I've never done field work in my life, but I think like kind of the um, some things related to women, like women period, for example, that could be a problem in, during field work, and I think it's something that people don't talk about. So I think there are some issues that people don't talk about in this field that, you know, affect women. So, yeah, I think there should be more conversation about this, but that there are, as I said, there's this initiative of women, a women network to promote, you know, women in science. So it's, it's kind of encouraging.
0: No, totally. It's super cool. I, you know, in my first year during my PhD, we had um, a seminar exactly about what you just mentioned about um, women in field work. And um, they had some PhD students that were coming back from their fieldwork. work that had already completed, you know, the one year field work um, of their PhD. And they were coming back, you know, to, to speak about the challenges or the opportunities or their own experience, you know, of going on fieldwork and, and in interviewing people or doing ethnography in, in villages or whatever. I remember very clearly there was this this uh, woman, she had been working on basically kind of leaders. And so she was saying that she made a point of having all the meetings. So she was interviewing like leaders, you know, um, like public leaders. So, you know, head of offices and, and deputies and, you know, people who were in power. So obviously mainly men. And so she was saying that like she really made a point of having 100% of her interviews In their offices, you know, during the working hours in their office, you know, not over lunch, not over dinner, Mm -hmm. not over drinks, because she said that, you know, it could send the wrong message, like to be hanging out, you know, out of the office in out of hours, you know, and things like this. And so when I was reaching out to people for my own interviews. When I was in Myanmar earlier this year, I was super aware of this, you know, and I was always, always uh, reaching out to people saying, I can come to your office during the day, because at the end of the day, like talking to a researcher who's working on your field of work, it's kind of part of your work, right? I mean, it's okay if I, if I infringe into their, their work day. And it's a safe space to be to be um, in the office, right? And so, just things like this that men would never have to think about, you know, during their their own field work or the data collection processes, you know. And uh, and you're right. I think we have to speak about it both with women, with other women, to kind of give them, you know, these tips, you know, yeah. and, and so that we know what we're exposing ourselves, you know, um, to. And also with men, you know, so that they understand that when when a woman is, you know, reaching out to you for an interview, like. Maybe she's not comfortable if you say, oh, I'll meet you after work, you know, at this bar, because maybe she doesn't want to drink alcohol with you, stuff like that, right? So um, that's definitely something we
1: should speak about
0: uh, more. And there are so many other stories that really
1: we don't have to cover in this podcast, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are some things we're used to that we think is normal, it's actually not. I mean, like women have to wear makeup and be nicely dressed and things like that. We're so used to it.
0: No, absolutely, yeah, 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 so, and I think uh, also, you know, with my glasses, I have this a lot. Like, I always wear my glasses when I'm in my kind of professional persona, you know, because I think that I I look pretty young, like younger than I than I actually am. And so when I wear my glasses I'm kind of you know serious looking so I think that like I come across as more serious when I interview people or like you know things like this so also because I don't see very well without them <laughs> that's not just... just because of that I actually need them <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that men don't don't have to think about the same stuff that, that we do so I kind of wanted to ask you um from the perspective of someone who's actually studied a wide range of topics you know <laughs> and was being able to kind of come and go between different degrees and I mean I understand that you we love studying so for you it was fun I mean obviously you we, we touched a little bit on this like you transitioned from social work to um, psychology to human rights and now to sciences and and, uh, and physics you know and, and, and you're doing this PhD so I wonder if you could think you know of an advice that you could give to someone who's like end of high school and, and trying to decide what to study
1: well, I will, my advice would be to think about, you know, the the courses that the person has enjoyed the most during the degree. And then, you know, if it's someone that thinks that the only way to help people is to do social sciences, it's the person is very wrong. It's very wrong because you can do natural sciences and then, you know, if you work in medicine, you can, you know, help fight cancer or things like that. If you work in, in physics, you can help create better models to predict climate change. And uh, even in science, you can do science communication, which is really important nowadays. So there are a lot of things you can do in science, and if you are a woman if you are in science too, that helps you know promote equality between women and men because that means there's another woman in that field, so it less uh, the field less uh, more equal. So uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I would tell the person just think about what you really like doing, not what you know what people think you should be doing
0: no absolutely i think that's uh, that's a great advice so i kind of wanted to end by asking you you know what will be the next step for for you for your work for your career what are you excited about in your personal professional also in your kind of social life like you know what's coming up for you that that excites you or that you're looking forward to
1: well looking forward to finishing my phd <laughs> that's going to be later so after that i guess i'll do a postdoc or or do research somewhere in the world i uh, i don't care um, we like traveling, my boyfriend and I, so we're open to go to any place where we can find, where I can find a job, and if the place is nice, then we'll go. And then also I am actually a member of uh, the Association of Early Polar Career Scientists, and I'm actually helping out to, I'm coordinating a group review of the IPCC reports, so I'm, I'm quite excited about it. I'm coordinating one of the reviews right now, and we're going to start another one. So I think that's that that motivates me because I know I'm you know uh, we are uh, I'm coordinating this group review so we have a lot of we have like 150 or something like that reviewers that are even a part of the report so at the end we're gonna send the IPCC a huge uh, a spreadsheet with a lot of comments to make better reports because the report the the climate change report is gonna is is due in 2021. So this is like um, our chance to, you know, make comments, to report, point out things and try to make it better. So that's really a contribution as as early career scientists uh, we can do. So for now, I try to do my best to do little things in science communication or things like this. Oh, that's super cool. I wish you all the best with your with your PhD. I think it's really nice because
0: we're actually on the same kind of schedule, you know, we study at yeah. the same time, more or less, you know, and I think we are due to finish around the same time and probably we are not going to finish at all. Yeah, we're I don't expected. know. We can make a
1: competition. Let's <laughs>
0: exactly. see who finishes earlier absolutely thank you so much you know for for making the time I mean of course we could speak you know for forever we could go in in all directions but I think it's it's nice to keep it kind of short and sweet and um and I was super happy to to catch up with you and um and I think it's very brave you know what you did of um of this kind of transitioning from one degree to the other and and not stopping until you found something that you were you know 100% passionate about and I'm sure that everything you've learned you know in your previous degrees like they're not gone right it's like it's useful yeah. in your everyday life the way you approach you know society and in the way you vote and all of these things right <laughs> so it's still there and it's still with you and um I don't know if you have anything you, you want to say before before we close but um but I'm looking forward as well to doing you know another podcast episodes when we are both done with our PhD and then oh, we can just yeah, move gonna like think <laughs>
1: You can reflect back and be like, oh that was fun. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we'll change completely and do another thing <laughs> completely different. <and laughs> but yeah. thank you very much for you two for contacting me. It's been really nice to talk to you and talk about this. And it's great to see your view too, to see that there's another person doing a PhD and working hard and <laughs> that is experiences the same thing. Because it's nice to be that at the same at the same face i guess we are at the same state more or less so that's really thank nice you. to be able to talk to you thank you so much bye bye thank you bye <laughs>